Ag State of Mind, episode 152. This episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast is brought to you by Performance Livestock Analytics, helping you work smarter on your cattle operation. Visit performancelivestockanalytics.com to request a demo. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen or pasture, or analyze performance trends, all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Okay, whatever. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, as always, Jason Meadows. And today, we're going to kind of continue this talk on how our faith has helped our mental health. And it's it's been a huge, huge thing for me. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I put out a tweet that, you know, where a lot of podcast topics actually start for me, uh, putting out a tweet wanting to know if there was anybody willing to discuss how their faith has improved their mental health. And uh, today's guest, Shannon Farrell, answered that call. So, uh, Shannon, I appreciate you being here on the podcast and willing to step up and talk about this stuff because, you know, sometimes, uh, unfortunately the world makes it not very easy to talk about this stuff sometimes. So, uh, appreciate you being here. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I'm really glad that you brought this up as, as soon as I saw that tweet, I, I, I jumped on it because I thought, Hey, this is a huge topic. I mean, obviously, Mental health is a huge issue in rural America, and I think one of our big assets that we have in rural America is, you know, the, the strong faith that runs throughout a lot of our families and communities. But are we using that faith to to bolster, you know, our resiliency and our mental health, or is or is that sometimes getting in the way? And the answer might be simultaneously both mm-hmm. you know, for some sure. people as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it it is, I think sometimes it can be kind of a slippery slope, but I mean, if you use all the things the way they're intended to be used, it can only be an asset. Yep. I completely agree. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're at in the world, uh, what you're doing with that orange colored shirt on and (laughs) it's the only color I have my wardrobe (laughs) and I'm currently drinking an orange soda. You know, I've sold out. So I grew up in a small wheat and cattle operation in western Oklahoma and had the privilege of growing up a kid with the farm crisis of the 1980s. So I got to witness stress, depression, all those things, you know, up close and personal with my upbringing. Um, went to OSU, got my bachelor's, master's degree there, became a lawyer. Um, I was a private practice lawyer for a while, but I got tired of making money. So I came back and joined OSU. And I've been teaching there for 15 years now this summer. Um, and I teach agricultural law. And that's kind of put me in a, in a unique spot because 
I actually got started down the path of looking at mental health issues because one of my research focus areas at OSU is how do farms make it successfully from one generation to the next. And the more I got into that issue, the more I realized, honestly, the legal and tax mechanics of those processes, those were the easy part. The hard part were the family relationships. And so that kind of got me into family communications, got me connected with a gentleman named uh, Dr. Matt Barossi, who also at OSU, and he did a lot of work in, in mental health. And we started realizing, well, wow, there are connections between this transition process and the mental health issues there and just kind of the general issues that face the industry. We started working on some farmer mental health issues in 2019 and looked like geniuses because when 2020 came, hey, look, Farrell and Barossi were already on this topic. And that's Providence. That's <laughs> right. Right. To us. So that's kind of how I, how I got to where I am professionally on that point. Yeah, super interesting. Um, you know, uh, so much of this, I feel like this mental health talk comes from academia. And it, well, it should, because, you know, as, as in academia, your job is kind of to uh, evolve with the times, uh, evolve with the issues that are facing uh, facing the population uh, as they come. And you know, I think it's just a natural place. And we've talked to lots of people through, uh, through universities who are doing work similar, just because uh, it was the natural place for it to start. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've talked about a lot, both Dr. Brucey and myself, and then when we kind of are trying to figure out how to get this out to the state, is that we are facing challenges on a number of fronts. Number one, there are just so many areas of rural America where you're so far away from any kind of professional mental health, right. whether that's you know, a, a counselor, a psychologist, psychiatrist, anything like that. And so where that kind of brought us to was the fact that, you know, look, we've got volunteer fire departments, we've got volunteer ambulance services. We need volunteer mental health right. first responders. Yeah. And so, like you said, a lot of that's being driven from the university level, but we think one of the most important and highest value things we can do is if we can take some of those concepts, make those accessible to farmers and ranchers and the people that surround farmers and ranchers. So their lenders, their you know, accountants, their attorneys, their you know, rural clergy, kind of give them some of those tools to say, hey, if I notice that, you know, Bob or Sally look like they, you know, just don't feel like themselves or that maybe they're having a hard time or we know something that would say, wow, now knowing what we know, Bob and Sally must be having a hard time. Right. We can reach out to them in a way that it helps. You know, I think lots of us, you know, care about our neighbors, but we just don't know when they're facing a mental health issue, how do we care for them well? Right. So I think it's one of the most important things we can do is kind of move some of that clinical knowledge out of the university and, and equip farmers and ranchers. Because the other piece of that puzzle is, let's say there was a psychologist in, in either of our hometowns. Nobody would go because everyone would know, oh, that's Bob's pickup in front of the exactly. psychologist. Yep. Something's got to be wrong. Yeah, exactly. But we're perfectly willing to go talk to our friend. Right. And if our friend's better equipped to that, that would be advantage for us. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. And I think training the people who see people in their every day is key in this, you know, and there, and I think there's some confusion here, like, oh, we should totally, that should be their, you know, the only place they go is to their friends. No, but it should probably is going to be the first place they go. I think that's what's really important to like make a distinguish here. Uh, 
and say, you know, we're not, nobody is wanting to replace professional uh, mental health professionals at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We're trying to get more people to them. And, you know, and and unfortunately, there's a there's a saturation level as well. I mean, they can only people can only handle so much. So, I mean, there has to be kind of some uh, people we can catch and work with before it gets to a crisis stage. Well, Jason, you, you just hit the nail on the head so well there. And here's the analogy. You know, if we have an accident on the farm, we call 911. The local volunteer ambulance service, you know, gets a crew together, comes out. The first thing that they're going to try to do is say, okay, Farrell hurt himself. Let's get him stabilized. Let's make sure that nothing worse happens. Once we've done that, let's get him to the nearest emergency room. And then if they can take care of him, fantastic. And if they can't, now we need to get him to the city and get him to a trauma center or something like that. Right. And it's the exact same thing with mental health. You know, if, if we can intervene quickly and in the right way, we can say, okay, Farrell's in a bad spot. We can get him some help. Now let's get him connected with somebody who can help him at this level. And if that still doesn't work, let's get him connected with somebody that can help him at a more intensive level. It's it's exactly the same process, but we're but we're missing it, you know, so much in our rural communities. Not because people don't care, it's just because they don't know what to do, and then they don't know what resources with which they need to connect people if they do intervene. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the, you know, getting uh, getting connections at both ends of it is what's 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 key here you know having somebody in the middle to like who can you know guide people in the right direction that's what's that's what's so helpful yep absolutely so let's get in a little bit to what sparked this conversation um when we're talking about uh, our faith and our mental health and how do you approach that what what is i guess maybe probably the best question to to preface that is what's your why in that Mm -hmm. well so first off you know i've been a christian for for a long time got saved at vbs at age 11 so first off shout out to all you vbs volunteers out there what you do absolutely makes a difference so thank you so much for what you do and so you know it's always been a part of my life um and, and generally a source of strength. And what I'll tell you is that when I've had, you know, struggles with mental health, and I'm actually just kind of coming out of one that was, you know, in some ways, you know, very much tied to the pandemic. It, it wasn't that it was a problem of my faith. It's that I kind of forgot the tools that my faith had to help me through that. Um, basically, just kind of give you an example. You know, mental health is the only illness in the world that will actively try to get you discouraged from getting help for it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. cancer could be an incredibly insidious, sometimes hard to find disease, but it's not like cancer makes you say, you know what, you shouldn't see an oncologist. I'm sure you'll be just fine, right? It just, you know, you feel bad, you get how it works. Mental health will say, no, I, we know you feel terrible. You don't need to talk to anybody about this or see anybody about this. And what I found was that I let myself believe the depression and the anxiety to the point where I forgot a lot of, you know, what my faith had to tell me about that. And I'll give you an example. So I brought it with me today. This is the donkey. Nobody could ride, uh-huh. which is a, is a Palm Sunday story. I read to my little boy every year. 
And uh, one year I'm actually going to get through it without crying. That's my doubt <laughs> myself. But it's the story of this little donkey who's just weak. He couldn't work at the mill. He couldn't carry anything. He couldn't pull a wagon. He was just kind of felt useless until one day the apostles find him tied up in town and take him to Jesus to bring him into Jerusalem. And, you know, you know, at that moment, Jesus kind of heals him, strengthens him. And it's kind of that classic example of, you know, Jesus equips the call. He doesn't always call equipped. And, this, you know, Palm Sunday this past year, I was reading this. I'm like, yeah, I'm the donkey. I'm the donkey. Effless. I don't have the ability to really do what people depend on me to do. And then when we got to the part of the story where Jesus, you know, restored and healed this donkey, at that point, I disconnected from the character. Like I was identifying with him as long as he was worthless. But as soon <laughs> as Jesus said, hey, nobody's worthless. I can I can work with you. Right. I said, well, uh, well Jesus can't work with me. And when I had that thought i finished with my little boy put him to bed i went downstairs and said you realize Farrell, that you're saying that jesus can't help you you've said that the omniscient omnipotent creator of the universe can't touch you because you are so far off and that's when i realized like wow i've had a complete disconnect i i need to reconnect with all the things the scripture tells me like everybody's valuable everyone has worth nobody's too broken for jesus to work with and that kind of, you know, pulled me back out and said, okay, I need to talk to somebody and get some help because I'm not beyond help, right? Right. And so I I just kind of forgot that. And, and mental health is isolating in so many ways, you know. Mental health issues like depression or anxiety make you forget that or make you not believe that. And you kind of get yourself into that cycle of, of self-talk that you either need the scripture to pull you out of or you need God to put somebody in your life to help pull you out of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was thinking I I listened at one at some time where it was uh, uh some people talking about uh, I can't remember what exactly they were talking about, but it was um some kind of spiritual type thing that was non-Christian related. Um but it just made me think like it could be so it it could be so simple for people to just let themselves go to Christ because it's really, it really is just, it's just that simple. Like it's not easy, mm -hmm. but it's just that simple to just let go of worldly things, things that don't really matter. And, you know, it really, whenever you put it in that focus, it really kind of puts it into a really, uh, simple serene perspective absolutely and if you look at the way that we should be living the christian life it's got all the tools that you know a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist would tell you these are the things that you use to deal with mental health you know number one isolation is where mental health issues go to thrive right you know so having community a, a compassionate christian community around you in your local body and your small group or whatever the case might be people that you know love you that love you unconditionally that say hey let's share each other's burdens you know let's not isolate ourselves or keep it all bottled up inside let's let's share um you know even the simple discipline of prayer the fact that you feel like you can take your your, your concerns to god and say hey i just need to lay all this out there and the the counselor that i see made an tremendously valid point that's that really this kind of goes to the prayer discipline she said that burnout 
is a function of residue. If you're constantly dealing with stuff, that just kind of keeps building up and building up and building up on you until that weight kind of starts to crush you down. You have to find some way of processing and releasing that residue of those, you know, those issues away from you. And that's as simple as journaling or, you know, just talking about it or talking about it with God, just saying, Hey, I just need to share this with you. This is on my heart. He already knows anyway. So just the simple discipline of prayer, you know, can be hugely effective in helping you as a human being process through your stuff. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it gives you, it gives you, like you say, somebody to just give your burden to a little. And I think, and I think what's like, I think what, what everybody can take away from this, whether they are a person of faith or not, is, you know, the time that you can just be there and what you can learn from, from scripture study, from prayer, from journaling is just the simple fact of being still and being alone and being able to work things out. And, you know, you and I know that there's some, there's a higher power there, but you know, some people aren't ready to accept that. And, but I think the, the practices that we're talking about, um, they are, they're, they, they can be beneficial no matter what. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you make a really good point too, Jason, in the fact that, you know, there are people around us that, you know, are, are their faith is a hugely important part of their lives. And there are people that don't have any knowledge of that. One of the most important things that we can do as a, as a witness, and if, you know, if you're an evangelical Christian, you know, you're constantly, you know, concerning yourself with like, how can I get Jesus in front of people? Loving people well. I mean, it's the first right. and greatest commitment. It's the way that Jesus said, hey, this is how everyone's going to know you love me is if you love one another well. And there's a huge opportunity for that when someone's struggling with a mental health issue because they need the kind of love non-judgmental empathetic compassionate like look, i'm just here to come alongside you i'm not in it for anything this isn't like hey if i do this for you you got to get saved you know it's just i'm here to love you you know let's go and have at it that's huge because that makes an impact on people you know you're you're being one of god's instruments to minister to that person that's just you know one of the highest callings we could possibly have it's it's tough for us because i think sometimes we forget that we're supposed to lead with love like right we kind of have this reputation in, in recent times especially of being pretty judgmental and maybe that reputation's well deserved but in this case it's you know imperative that we just say hey i don't know what you're going through let's talk about it and i'm here to i'm here to love you through it it's it's almost kind of a paradox i think in rural communities if there was a flood fire tornado something terrible happens you can't keep people away like they're going to overload you with casseroles and hugs right yeah um until you get through that, that crisis but if it's a mental health issue and, and this is no ill will towards anybody people don't know how they're supposed to respond and so they say well I, I probably just need to leave that person alone and so in a way they compound it by and unintentionally isolating that person when we need to be doing exactly the opposite right yeah yeah and your that, that that is a really good point that you bring up too because we do so many times we just say 
uh, we just need to let them, we don't want to bother them. We don't want to like, um, you know, they're going through this hard thing. We don't want to bring it up. We don't want to, you know, I think that's, everybody can relate to that. But, you know, when in fact the opposite is probably true, even if they don't think that it's true. Right. Like even if somebody's like, no, yep, I'm fine. I'm what's the I'm good. I'm fine. You know, that's like the the if somebody asks you how you're doing and I feel like that's always um, I feel like if you ask that question twice is is the key. Like you're going to ask it once. People are going to say, I'm fine. No. How are you really? And then that's when you can, a lot of times, you know, get through that initial barrier and people can really just kind of pour out to you. And I think, I honestly think by somebody just asking the question twice, that is just enough to let people, somebody know you actually care. Oh, that's, that's so insightful. I mean, Jason, I think you should have a podcast about mental health issues in agriculture. You did exactly what, you know, Dr. Barossi would tell us to do, what, you know, the counselor would say, like, you're going to ask somebody how they're doing and they're going to do the play like, yeah, everything's great. I'm fine or whatever. Like, no, seriously, how are you doing? And, uh-huh. and literally the smallest act of acting, asking that question twice tells them you legitimately want to know the answer. And it kind of makes it safe for them to say, well, you know, things have been a little tougher than I'd like for them to be. And there's that crack. You, know, you mentioned the other thing too, by the way, was that w- people might not want to talk about it. But if you've if you've noticed that someone isn't themselves, like they're not taking interest in the same things they used to enjoy, their their mood seems to have changed a lot or seems to to fluctuate quite a bit. Or if you just know that there are circumstances in their life, you know, that that would be hard on anybody. If they've had a major loss or a disaster or an illness or or financial hard times or something like that, to say, hey, I want you to know I'm here for you. And you may not want to talk to me today. Okay, I'm going to call you tomorrow. And then I'm going to call you the day after that. And I'm going to call you the day after that until I'm mildly annoying. And I'm going to still keep calling you because I want you to know I'm here. Right. Right. And, and sometimes it'll take, it'll take some persistence sure. until they finally say, all right, I'm going to get, I'm going to get Jason off my case. Fine. Here's what's happening. And yeah. then, then you can talk. Yeah. And you know, and I think people do, they have that big concern about being a bot. Uh, you know, oh, I don't want to keep bothering this person, but like sometimes that's just what it takes. You know? And I mean, it, it takes you kind of being annoying, you know, for lack of a better word, to just get out there and, you know, clear the air and, you know, trying to get people to understand, you know, we really need to take care of this. We're going to be lovingly annoying until something happens. Right. Yeah. So you said something earlier, and I think it's very, it's a very important thing we need to talk about. Um, when you talk about, like, whenever we deal with people uh, talking about faith and mental health, And, you know, some people say, well, you know, if you pray enough or if you live good enough, then these things won't affect you or, you know, something towards that. And and I'm curious, like your take on that, like how, I mean, obviously that's, I think there, there is a little bit of truth to it, but it's much more complex than so many people might understand. Oh, and that's one of the critical issues. And I think this may be the biggest stumbling block that we have in terms of Christians not having their faith be an asset when we're dealing with someone in a mental health crisis, but but being kind of a stumbling block. And what I mean by that is exactly what we're talking about. Well, I mean, you're supposed to always have the joy of the Lord. And if you were really filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd have joy. You wouldn't be depressed or things like that. Or like, oh, come on, how can you be depressed? You're so blessed. Blah, you know, and all these things. Well, Folks, there's 
there's folks in the Bible that had some pretty tough times. Mm. We can talk about Job. Right. We can talk about David, you know, the man after God's own heart, who got chased mercilessly all across the countryside, didn't do anything wrong, and then also got across, you know, chased across the country when he really did do something right. wrong. Right. But you know, Paul talking about the the thorn in his flesh, like I don't know why this thing's here, but God said I'm made perfect in your weakness, so here it is. The the point of all of that is going back to what we talked about. The thing that Jesus told us to do is love people. Like there's a bunch of other stuff, but but it's all wrapped up in this. You love people, and so when we have to sit back and go, okay, it's not my place to judge. I'm a broken sinner. So is every other human being on the planet. Recognizing that and recognizing how much Jesus sacrificed to take care of me, I'm called upon to do the same thing for other people. So you're having a hard, hard time. It doesn't matter if it's because someone keyed your Ferrari. Um, well, like, why are you depressed? You have a Ferrari. Like, or, you know, someone wiped out your entire livelihood and now you're in danger of being on the street. It can be hard for anybody, no matter you know what their circumstances are. It's hard to them. And so, you know, I think, you know, the Bible is pretty clear on the fact that we're supposed to come alongside people and love on them well to say, look, whatever you're going through, it's hard for you. Maybe I wouldn't respond the same way, but that doesn't matter. I'm here to love you. So whatever your challenge is, I- I'm here for that. And so I, I think if we really strip it down to the basics. We say, like, look, our first commandment was to love one another. All the rest of the stuff kind of takes a back seat. If we do that, then we've really got a chance to use our faith as a powerful tool rather than be an obstacle. Yeah. And it, it's it, it's really important to help people understand, like, you can do both, too. Like, you can sit in prayer and you can do all the things that 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 the scriptures tell you to do. and and But you can also seek out help because and here's how I here's how I view that that if it's something that's good and helpful it came from God I mean if whether that be sitting in prayer reading scriptures or if it is going and seeing a counselor I don't I don't think those things are uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive you know you can you can do both of those things one hundred percent. I mean, one of my side hustles is I lead our pre-marriage ministry at our church. Okay. So we train couples that are engaged and get them and get them ready to do their premarital counseling. And it would knock your socks off whenever you read all of the, you know, the worldly research that talks about what makes a good married couple. Gosh, wouldn't you know it all lines up exactly with what the scripture would tell you to do. And it's the same thing when we're talking about with mental health issues. So many of the disciplines that the Bible lays out for us are the things that that help us. If you've got anxiety, for example, you know, if you find yourself spiraling and your brain's just caught on one concept mulling it over and over, well, what do you do? You know, whatever was good, whatever's right, whatever's pure, you know, meditate on these things. You know, I, I stopped at 20 when I was going through all the examples of where the Bible tells us to meditate. And people think this is like some Eastern religion or, or, or a, you know, new age kind of thing. Like, no, God's been telling us like, hey, here's some stuff to think about. I've given you some stuff to think about. Whenever things start to get on top of you, focus on this. It'll get you recentered and get you out of the spiral. So that, you know, having meaningful community surrounding yourself with people and reminding yourself of what's good, all stuff that you're going to find, you know, 
in, in the world they research on as well. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, I'll even like I'll even to say go as far to say is like some of the Eastern traditions are helpful as well because. In my eyes, they all came from the same place. We just have some people have a different interpretation of them. Uh, my wife, for example, my wife is very, um, she's very educated on Eastern religion, uh, Hinduism for uh, first because she's a, um, she's a uh, certified yoga instructor. So a lot of that, a lot of that, there was a lot of teaching about um about the about the origins of Hinduism through and that was uh, all done uh, whenever the practice of yoga was started and he just she finds so many similarities to Christianity and so like it's it, I, I think they're mm -hmm. all almost I mean in my eyes I feel like they are um, I feel like they're they're just synergistic mm -hmm. you know We've been talking about meditation and mindfulness here for a couple of minutes, and I, I have to remind, especially my ag audiences, I'm not talking a lotus position on the hood of your tractor going um, um, um a lot. It's simply like finding an, an, a point of focus that's useful for you and getting yourself out of the cycle for a second and just slowing things down a bit when things seem to be speeding up or, or getting on top of you. So. I think you make a really good point. Part of it's just contextualizing it in a way that makes it useful for people. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like I say, meditation doesn't look like what you probably think it looks like. I mean, it can look like that, but you know, most people aren't going to do that. You know, sometimes it's just going, sitting in a quiet corner, being able to collect your thoughts. I sometimes use guided meditation. I use the um, Headspace app a lot. Uh, that helps me so much. Yeah, just get, just calm down, uh, connect to breath, all good things. And, and again, all, in my opinion, all things that came from God. Yep. And actually, and I have not had a chance to explore this. I, I just found out about it. It's a concept of, I think it's called, uh, and I, I forgive, forgive me, I can't remember the exact term is, but I think it was called uh, centered prayer. But basically, it, it's kind of a a meditation and prayer discipline, like you said, like like a guided meditation. And there are actually some apps that help you with it. But you pick a a concept from faith or a scripture, and the, and that's the focus of your your guided meditation and prayer time. So I'm kind of anxious to. Explore that a bit more. Yeah, I'm interested in to see how that will uh, what'll come. Yeah, what you can what you can gain from that. I, that sounds really interesting. I sounds like something that uh, I mean anybody can use. Yeah. Well, Shannon, uh, I want to be uh, respectful of your time here tonight, and I appreciate you hopping on this podcast and talking to me about this thing that um, you know. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are. Um, kind of reluctant to talk about. And you know, I, I appreciate being so open about your faith and how it's helped you. And you know, I hope that, my, it's my hope that people hear these things and hear these conversations like you and I are having. Uh, and and maybe, it, maybe it gets them a little bit closer to God, or maybe it pushes them just a little bit closer to maybe going back and joining that church. Um, because... Like you made a really good point when we started and saying, you know, the especially in our rural communities, church families and church congregations, you know, they're that like built in community. And they're sometimes the only ones we have in certain um, uh, 
in certain small communities. And, you know, I know my church family. I mean, I have been in very tight spots before and they've helped me out so much. And, you know, and we we pay it forward too. You know, I mean, we were over, we had somebody, she wanted to build a garden fence this weekend and, uh, her and her husband are really bad health, but we went over and we got a hundred by a hundred garden fence built in an hour, you know? So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it was six guys, you know, it was just, and that's what, that's the kind of things that can happen with these, with these church families, um, is, is it, like I say, it's being a built-in community and, and loving, like you say, loving people first and serving them. And that's how you can show them what God's love is all about. Oh, couldn't agree more. Our, and what you said is so true. Those, those acts of service and love that we can do for the people in our community, that communicates to people that the church is a place that will be welcoming them when, when things are hard. And my pastor, uh, has a phrase that I absolutely love. He says, we've got to work hard to make sure that this church is the kind of place that when the worst of this is discovered, people will want to run to, not run from. And we can create a community of faith in our in our towns, our, our communities, our farms and ranches where people know that whenever it's hard, I know I'll be welcomed there. That's one of the greatest services we can do for our community and one of the greatest services we can do for our faith, I think. Yeah, 100%. Shannon, where can folks, if they want to reach out to you after this podcast, talk to you, you know, something hits with them, how do people get a hold of you? So I'm easy to find if you can find your way to the uh, Oklahoma State website. um, You can find me there. Or if you want to follow me on Twitter or just send me a direct message or something like that, the DMs are open. It's just at Shan Farrell. S-H-A-N-F-E-R-R-E-L-L. If you reach out there, just be warned. It's going to be lots of farm transition stuff, rural mental health, then pictures of my kid, bad jokes, and weather. <laughs> Very good. Well, man, I appreciate your time here tonight. Thanks again for you know answering the call, and thanks again for being so open about this. It's uh, It was truly an honor to talk to you. Well, Jason, thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you a ton for leading this conversation. This is a conversation I don't think we would have had in the ag industry maybe even five years ago. But the fact no, that you've got have. this outlet is, is phenomenal. It's moving the conversation forward, and that's one of the most important things we can do. So thank you for that. Yeah, 100%. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate your kind words. And, uh, you know, I my son, he I think he's going to go to Utah State, but I do believe his number two school was OSU. Anything we can do to sway that, we're here for. Okay. <laughs> Will do. All right, partner. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate it. Jason, I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Uh-huh. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen or pasture, or analyze performance trends, all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.